0: to another episode of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. So, episode 41. Merry Christmas, everyone. By the time you get this, it'll be into the Christmas season. This will be a highlight show from 2019. I figured that... I've had so many great episodes this year. And it seems about... uh, I'm averaging about 20 per year. About every two, three weeks. So I thought, well, you know what? I'll do a bit of a highlight show and take some of my favorite quotes and... Favorite little stories and and moments within the episodes over the last year. And kind of break them up and share them with you guys. So the first... This will be part one, part two. So the first one is with my father-in-law, Barbecue Sessions, and he's telling the story about him with about 10 cases of wine, trying to find his car. Let's get right into it. It's
1: funny, I I think I had, you had two or four cases and I had
2: six. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Some of them were 12, uh, six small. Sixes, yeah. yeah. yeah, so to, not, be, yeah to, to be, be fair, fair yeah. some of them were only sixes. Uh, six. But uh, and the, I had this poor sap driving, pushing this cart around <laughs> the parkade looking for my car. We were on the wrong level.
0: Yeah, like, you, I, yeah, you had like six, and I had like three I, or four.
1: I tipped him, and he said, Oh, no, I can't do that. And I said, Yes, please. You, des- you deserve this. He's just some young kid. Mm. And I said, you give him five bucks. And I said, no, really, you deserve this. You've yeah. following me around, <laughs> trying to find <laughs> my car. So stupid. Mm. This is pretty good, eh? I like this, it's very nice and smooth. Yeah. yeah. Decades ago, when we were still in Brampton, so that's how long ago it was, 40 plus years ago, we used to order some nice robot. Oh, yeah. And uh, but then
0: the kids came along and we stopped ordering anything. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I'll edit that out for when Travis listens <laughs> to this podcast.
1: Oh, well, he knows. <laughs> it
0: was well, him. It was We've too. actually, actually, maybe I'll we'll pull out. There's some real that we we got one of the offerings, mm-hmm. um, that maybe I'll just give, I'll just give you a bottle, in uh, the last one of the last Himian offerings. It's really nice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I know. They've actually got some good ones.
1: Like I say, since we've moved here, it uh, sort of limited it to... Kind like, of off the real France way, and... Uh, Okanagan.
0: Okanagan. Yeah. Well, it's funny how it works. Like, I I was on a, a Spanish kick for a while. Yeah. I, I've mm-hmm. got about 24 bottles of Spanish, and then uh, now it's more the Australian, New Zealand stuff. I've got yeah. a bunch of that. Yeah. And then that Chilean... I split that stuff with Travis and Lisa, that's mm-hmm. that Chilean stuff. So, and then I've got I have still got most all like all that French the, yeah. uh, the pirate, the yep. Prince pirate and all that stuff. I've got a bunch of that, so it's a nice mixture that I've got mm-hmm. now. Yeah,
1: that's good.
0: But I've got a bunch of um, a bunch of Grenache, a bunch of uh, Rioja, a bunch of Tempranillo. And then now all the Italian stuff, now all the San Giovese and stuff, right? Yeah. I really
1: like the San Gio-Vezi grape
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that that one we had on Saturday was a 2006. Yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah. It's uh. It's opening up nicely, as they say.
2: Although, if I if I.
0: I open it um, next week, I'm going to decant it for a bit because I found it a little, it had to sit, it definitely had to sit for a while. Okay. It was a little too alcoholy at the start and then it kind of mellowed out. next episode is episode 22 with Lawrence Francis. Lawrence runs his own wine podcast out of London called Interpreting Wine and this was our conversation while in London we met up and talked about our, our approaches to wine podcasting.
3: I can totally relate to that because I think interestingly the nicer I find a wine and the more that it affects me the, the more I'll think about it and actually the more I'll think about who I want to share it with and who I want to you know sort of spread the spread the joy around with and I you know I love I love finding communities of drinkers where where they're keen to do that and not sort of you know keep it to themselves as it were.
0: I like I like the fact that because a lot of the time I do talk a lot about BC wine and a lot of the ok- Okanagan. However, having Rajat and having Brian and, and talking a bit about California, the California industry has allowed me to develop a bit of a listenership down there. So it's been received very well down there especially. So which I'm, I'm eternally grateful for the fact that there's people all over the world who've, who've decided to tune into my show.
3: So yeah, we're sitting here in London, you know, is where I do all of my interviews and, you know, majority of my interviews to date. Um, There are not masses and masses of people doing wine podcasts at the moment in London. You know, I'm really keen for others around me to start them as well. I I think one of my initial motivations was I want to sort of, you know, take over this space before somebody else does, you know, I want to sort of get in there. And that was certainly uh, for certainly the first sort of couple of months. That was my main motivation. But, uh, you know, how things can change in a few months, uh, it literally has gone completely the other way. It's like I would I would love for there to be a community of of other people. And I purposely say hospitality and not just wine. I think I've I've broadened it right out now, you know, to other areas.
0: Episode 23 featured my conversation with Heather Lipp, who is a author. She wrote a book about wine laws. She is also someone who I connected quite well with on Instagram, one of my wine friends who i had great conversations with. This highlight from our conversation, our podcast episode, is about one of her most memorable wines.
4: The bottle that I love that we have in our cellar is a 1942 Doisy Dane which is a Sauternes out of France. Mm, cool. And the reason, and the reason why we love this bottle is because when these grapes were grown, these were Nazi occupied fields.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
4: and so it's like history in a bottle. Like i we, I don't know if we'll ever open it just because it's such a, it's a, such an interesting story and it's such a great way to relate to wine and how wine is really a piece of history sitting in a bottle whether that wine is amazing because that's all this winemaker could focus on during what was going on in the time, or if it's just terrible because of the environment that was going on in the time and the fact that you know they were occupied, I don't know. I don't know the answer, but it's just whatever that answer is, it's sitting in that bottle. And it's so I, that's why, I mean, those that's, that's like my favorite when people are usually ask me about wine and my passion for wine, that's a story I usually tell because I feel like that encapsulates the, 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 the whole thing around it right? It's yeah. it's not just a box of Franzia wine that you brought home and you want to get drunk, right? Wine is, it's special and it's unique and it's history. And there's so much that goes into that bottle when wine is made right.
0: One of my favorite people to interview has been Christy Norman. And this is the second time we've had a chat on or made a podcast about our chats. We've, we've talked quite a few times uh, over the last couple of years and this conversation is just like all our other ones just funny so her telling a story about talking with Randy Jackson when she was working as a psalm at Spago
5: so being in the peanut gallery of um, Spago and getting to kind of chime in with my opinion I in the nicest way and this I pretty much only do this with reps that I really like and have a good relationship with but um, you know if uh, my boss is like, "What do you think? What do you think? What do you think?" and I'll be like, "You know what? That, that's a no for me, dog." Like, did you ever watch Randy Jackson? Yeah, in American Idol. Yeah, I was like, "That's a no from me, dog." So I say that all the time, or like, it, just in the wine station, you know, like three of us, you know, Psalms were in service and we're tasting a wine. And if I just don't feel it, I'm like, mm, "That's a no from me, dog." Well, Randy Jackson came in a couple days ago, and I actually pulled him to the side, <laughs> and I told him, and he gave me some really like great like breathing techniques to like be louder because he said that I needed to like say it like more for, aggressively. <laughs> He's like, He's it all the time. He's like one of our favorite like sweetest regulars on the planet like I don't like to talk about the celebrities that come in and stuff but he comes in like a lot and like we love him he's so nice uh but it just made me really really happy because I had never actually like like served him before that day I knew he came in but I had never like been around him and I got to tell him that and he's like you know what like it really matters like it. It serves to be the bad guy sometimes. You know what? You're totally right. And I don't like to be bad cop or anything like that, but you know, being able to say how you feel, but in like a really positive way. That's what Randy Jackson's line kinda like represents to me. Like, no, it's a no for me, dog. Like you're like it's cool, like I'm mad at it. But like that's what
0: I'm telling you no. I'm telling you no, but we're still cool, you know?
5: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah.
5: (laughs) Exactly.
0: One of the highlights from episode 25 for me was going down to the Vancouver International Wine Festival with my good friend Steve Halfnights. and this is our driving conversation on the way down, and basically what to expect when we got to the festival. There'll be stuff around the training convention center. It won't necessarily be won't necessarily be there, but it might be at some other restaurants, or whatever. Also, right. oh, the festival is more than one day. Yeah, yeah it's a whole week for especially okay. for people who are in the industry. Mm-hmm. Like, there will be things going so on. Network and, yeah. yeah, like, there's different wine seminars. Like, there's different rooms. Some of us offsite, some of us on-site. Mm-hmm. And, like, different... There's different presenters and stuff, right? And So, so as you, opposed you're to... You were hoping to hit... Uh, or hit the tasting. Well, hit the tasting, really. right. Tasting's a very important thing. Yeah, very the important. thing I know most about wine <laughs> is <laughs> it's oh, it's it's the tasting. Episode 26 was with Jack Chapman. He is a wine portfolio manager for cult wines he runs a small vineyard as well actually outside london and he actually co-starred in a youtube show with uh, one of his colleagues we got into a great conversation about prosecco social media and the influence of well-known varietals in different countries
2: yeah exactly so you're, you're building an identity aren't you and, and again it's a cynical way to look at it but every Every wine region, every wine country has to have uh, a USP, doesn't it? I mean, why would I buy whatever from country X unless it was at the pinnacle of of that sort of uh, viticulture? So uh, yeah, I think you're spot on. You know, obviously you've got loads of grape varieties out there, but eventually you'll you'll become known globally just for making amazing Chardonnay or brilliant Pinot Noir or or something like that. Yeah, uh, and I think England at the moment, sadly. Well, not sadly, because we're doing it very well. We're pushing too hard towards sparkling wine. Um, We're we're trying to beat the the champagne wine at their own game. And, and, you know, you have all these blind tastings, um, these judgments of whatever they're calling them. And uh, the English fizz does very well against champagne. But champagne has 400, 450 years of passive marketing behind it. You know, there's such an association of of popping a bottle of champagne. It's it's synonymous with celebration, you know, with, with things going well in your life that to unseat, um, something like that and exactly you know doing it in exactly the same fashion with the same grapes with you know arguably the same um, soil types and things is I don't think it's gonna work. you need to you need to come up with your own angle and make a name for yourself in that way.
0: And even um, not even pass well, I guess you could call it passive marketing, but even just in in culture, the identity that comes with it, like I'm thinking you know in songs and in movies and just in your overall pop culture uh and now even prosecco is kind of getting that that reputation as well that like champagne that it's that's kind of becoming the the one to to pop you know what i mean
2: yeah <laughs> quite literally yeah but um uh, i mean prosecco is a it's a fascinating case isn't it it's uh people have taken that association with fizzy wine um and and they've sort of lashed it to drinkability and affordability and prosecco to me i think is a very boring drink Um, There are obviously good ones out there, and I I don't want to uh, be maligned by the entire Prosecco industry for (laughs) for them hearing me say something like that. But uh, it's a little bit sweeter, isn't it? It's very forward. It's very easy to drink uh it it doesn't have the asses the complexities you know the the secondary tertiary characters that champagne can develop that makes it so interesting so it's it's an ideal sort of bland drink for the mass market throw some bubbles in there and it becomes a special occasion every single time you open a bottle and and because it costs you you know um probably at very most half of what you might pay for a bottle of champagne all of a sudden every night is a special night and it's it's really a drive towards um the the sort of marketing instagram social media world we live in where everyone's obsessed with living their best life every day and and all that kind of stuff and and Prosecco as a wine region has cashed in so so well um on that passive marketing from from Champagne if if you think about you know Mert Hennessy um how much money they spend on Verve Clicquot and Mert Chandon on Perignon Cru just to to establish those brands and keep them in the the ascendancy that the that, 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 sort of used to being in. Um, all of a sudden, has just jumped in. They've spent no money at all on any kind of marketing and advertising, and they've established themselves so, so well off the back of it. They're, those Italian producers must be, I think I think they're living their best life, not, not the people yeah. <laughs> drinking
0: it. So episode 27 was with Anne and I. She is a master of wine, wine critic. She writes for a variety of publications and critiques wine and she was actually working on a book about the wines of Germany. So this little story was about her schedule and some of the stops that she was making and some of the tastings that she did while she was there and our mutual love of Pinot.
6: I was traveling and having many, many appointments and quite a heavy schedule um, because I'm doing research for a book I'm writing at the moment on the wines of Germany. And so I had many appointments and um, Friday week ago I um, met two young people who started a new sect company sect is the German word for sparkling wine okay I was totally I was totally in love with their wines they're called um, Burkhardt Schür, and they're in Burgstadt in Franconia and um, they make just just make such gorgeous gorgeous high-quality effect, and we disgorged some bottles right there and then, tasted them raw, without dosage. They were beautiful. It was one of those experiences. And the same day, later, I was with Paul Fürst um, on the Schlossberg in Klingenberg. And Paul Fürst is one of the one of the pioneers of German quality Pinot Noir, and tasting wine with him, and later in the cellar, tasting Pinot Noirs with him, barrel it's just one of those priceless experiences you can have it's just memorable and and a privilege yeah
0: that sounds lovely
6: yes the day carried on in the most wonderful vein because I went to see another fabulous vineyard and then I stayed in that Pino village and um, met with Benedict Balthus, who has a very, very interesting approach to Pinot Noir, Mm. and uh, his wife, who makes Pinot Noir in a different region in the R. uh, He had her wines there as well from the new vintage. So, we basically spent the time from 4 o'clock Friday afternoon until it was 8 o'clock just talking and tasting Pinot. And... I thought, okay, screw, my, screw the motorway, screw my schedule. If, if somebody's putting that stuff in front of me, I'll just lose a few hours of sleep. And I, you know, it was just it was one of those days where every single appointment is an eye-opener. And, yeah, I just got into my car and drove, you know, into the direction of home. I had a hotel booked halfway on the route. And I just thought, how lucky I am.
0: My wife and I had the privilege of going up to the O.K. Falls area and talking with Kelsey from Echo Bay Vineyard. She is the winemaker there. And amongst the conversations, as we walked around through the vines and went into the wine cellar and did some tastings from Beryl, we had a great conversation about some of the biodynamic practices on their winemaking and what it takes to grow grapes and make wine in the Okanagan
7: kind of hard to de- decide on the library stuff keeping back 10 pieces of each but yeah I mean, you know I sort of let it go as it as the years go on too that's right Sort of yeah. slowly release yeah back yeah. releases yeah I know, yeah. <laughs> know. Capron is pretty great in the Okanagan and pretty excited with that for now
0: that's one like so like I had Grant on the podcast and he was he was talking about the grapes that it's like okay you can do what you want mm-hmm. but what's really working what's not right yeah. like so um capron being one of those ones that is working right like yeah like as much as there's 'cause uh somebody was said at one point there was like seventy different varietals in the air you know up here. Mm-hmm. But it's like they're not all working I right? So
7: kind of have to go with yeah. It's such a It's so great that we have the opportunity oh, to experiment. For sure. For sure because like we're so, we have such a short history and we have no idea what works. But then yes, eventually over time, we're gonna like build up what we know works best here.
0: Yeah.
7: Like I'm saving, we actually own the property across the street, so two or three acres to plant. Um, So initially I wanted to plant some whites, but I really want to try Trousseau. I think Trousseau would be good. A lot about um, doing things based on the moon. so pruning, I prune with my parents. They're a bit yeah. <laughs> like, "What are you doing?" Um, so there's an ascending and descending moon, which kind of similar to the tides, yeah. taking like water up and water down. Right. So with the ascending moon, it's bringing the water up to the top parts of the plant. So in theory, when you're pruning during that time, you're taking off some of the plant's energy. Yeah. Um, so in the ascending moon, every two weeks it switches, we, we pruned all our vigorous vines and hope to kind of decrease their energy. And mm-hmm. in the descending moon, we, we pruned the like, lower vigor and right. the ones that are doing fine. So that was this year's experiment. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: What's this planted right here?
7: So this is Petit Verdot. Okay. Um, this we got virus from the nursery. Okay. So it's um sorry, this is kept wrong. This is super bird. My uh, photo journey is a little bit the battery. Um so this has been an interesting experiment. Red blotch is what we have, which is kind of a new virus in oh. the Okanagan. Um not much is known about it. They're still kind of searching for the vectors. So We're actually part of a study from the research center in Summerland. They're gonna monitor our vines. Um, At the moment, it's affecting the acidity, Mm. so we have very high acidity. Mm. Um, I don't know, like TAs of 14, like really crazy high. Just from this, um, is it like a like the mildewy, or it's on the leaf, or is it on the? So you can tell it's like in the in the sap of the wine, but it affects the leaves so when it falls they'll turn blotchy red oh interesting and different from leaf roll in that it doesn't roll the leaves but um, it's supposed to affect acidity and ripening so sugars but right now our ripening has been fine Um, it's just had screaming high acidity but which I've actually really enjoyed we've been I was going (laughs) to
0: say there's a lot of people who enjoy that in their wines and
7: um because we don't add acid or anything to yeah. our wines it's a great to blend with our carbon which mm. is very low in acidity it kind of drops its acidity in right. early September and then it's done so um, I've actually been co-fermenting them the past oh, okay. few years which has turned out great this year I fermented them separately um, but I just blended them together yeah. because probably should have kept them separate for an experiment, but I was a little worried about the pH of the carbon mm. air, not adding much sulfur to it. It's kind right. of, I just huh. wanted to keep it safe.
0: Episode 29 is a conversation at the dinner table at the Kitch Wines property with pretty much two of my favorite people in the Okanagan wine scene. Katie Truscott and Grant Biggs. Grant is the winemaker for Kitsch Wines and Katie is a wine writer and also is one of the managers at Kitsch Wines. This is our conversation. I was actually up visiting a few places and it was during my time of visiting uh, Kelsey at Echo Bay Vineyard as well. So our conversation naturally revolves around Pinot, obviously, and some of the ups and downs of making wine in the Okanagan. We also spent a few minutes talking about how we had all connected in the first place. As you guys know, I meet a lot of my wine friends and, and wine contacts through uh, social media, through Instagram so, specifically, so the part of the conversation is about how Katie and I had chatted and just some fun stories. Fun group. I don't
8: know, we got a one on Pito or Riesling or something?
0: I like pinot.
9: He does like pinot. I do like pinot. <laughs> oh,
0: pinot, pinot, pinot. Pino.
5: I have to say, I'm really taken aback by these smoky ones. <laughs> I was
8: just thinking about it. Yes. Ian mm. gets chocolate. Thank you. Chocolate. Okay. Um. Wow. What a what a surreal day. Right. Just what nice. was your like, day? I don't know. I I mean, I woke up. Um, as I usually do in the morning. And uh, I don't know. Got out of bed. There was there was yeah, there was there was things that I couldn't, couldn't do yesterday that I got to do today. And like the that's the thing I like about this industry as well is that there'll never be a day where I say I have nothing to do. Yeah. Mm. There'll be days where I say I'm not doing anything, but there'll never be a day where I say I have nothing to do. Like I'll never clear my desk. Like i am never going to leave work on a Friday and be like, "Well, I don't have anything to do for this weekend. I'm gonna go enjoy it and then on Monday morning I'm gonna come back and yeah. you know, maybe there's something to do and maybe yeah. there isn't no What do you okay. think of the
5: Pinot Ian's
9: one? I like this. Yeah, I like,
0: this. This, is I like
9: easy. this a lot Isn't it so <laughs> like, you funny think the though thing? like I was in South Africa and I was like, let me just start blogging and talking about wine Yeah, and then like Ian okay. and I ran next and then like Ian and Grand connect, yeah, and yeah. we all are having dinner. Like Very we never real. thought this time last year. but like, hey Ian, can you, can't or you or like, I'll yeah. be yeah. working there and we'll be friends. like, it's, so it's been
0: almost two years, probably now.
9: Yeah,
0: it's did been you fall
9: out? yeah, wow, yeah.
0: Like oh. when did you start? When did you start? It was about like it
5: was about two years. Yeah, ago. but then weird. like remember I know. Korea? So you watched the whole like implosion of my
9: life. Happen. I want Let to ask you a question. <laughs> how transparent was I in my stories over the
8: last two years? Ian's followed
0: me for two years. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. followed longer well, than well, that. Yeah. What? I mean, how? Like, how long? Like, so when we we podcast, that you
9: pretty much followed since the beginning.
0: Pretty much since, since from the beginning. And it's yeah. funny though because it's, it, like there's certain people that like there's a winery in California where they've only been around for Sophie two James. two years. Sophie James. Which, yeah. They've like, only been around for a couple of years. Yeah. And I'm. It. We're we're going to podcast her and I. But she wants to talk about her story and how they got into it. I'm like, to me, that's old news because I've known about it for two years. I'd rather talk about this. I don't I don't necessarily want to talk about the history of how did you get into wine and how did you... Because yeah, I you, know about it. Because I know about it. It's, it's not interesting to me in that sense because I know about it, right? So for them, I'm like...
9: She but has you a have a really beautiful creative
0: eye. Yeah, and seeing. I'd rather talk about her social media yeah, side and
9: crazy. the
0: marketing side and all that. And she's like, oh, well, my husband's away right now, and her husband's more the winemaker, she's more the social me media.
5: You, he tells me about people. That's why I don't feel like I need to actually listen <laughs> yeah. to the thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, okay, so about it was about two years ago. So, when, we, when did we podcast about uh, spring last oh, year? So, you were here. The... So, I think it was in the summer roughly like we were talking i mean we've been talking for a while
5: yeah but like you have people listening like
9: everywhere
0: yeah
8: yeah you've got you got your countries i got my weird.
0: countries like, yeah
9: do like, you know somebody just started listening
0: to me in like new zealand yeah.
5: or not even new like, zealand. zealand where was oh, it yeah. you were saying yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> like georgia so
0: You're how like, how transparent were you yeah you were pretty elusive in his yeah.
8: stories. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. don't think if anybody like actually knew you, they uh, yeah. didn't necessarily know what was going on yeah. in, in life and everything around
0: you. And I felt it. I knew you enough that I could pry a little, yeah. right? Because we chatted <laughs> Wait, enough. This crazy podcast to like
9: I'm just going to I'm just going to pause, okay? Like, yeah. I'm pausing. Yeah. How are you? How are you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was are worried, worried okay? about I was worried about you. Oh, I, mean, I mean,
0: The last episode on this part one of the highlight show is episode 30 with Esther Mobley. She is a wine critic. She is a writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. And our conversation is about a bit about Napa and a bit about how different new wine regions define themselves.
9: I think it's a, it's an interesting conundrum for nascent wine regions on the one hand think about something like the Willamette Valley that really went all in for one great variety, Pinot Noir, here we are, we're doing it. I mean, they're now trying to go to extreme lengths to mandate that your wine has to be 100% Pinot Noir if it comes from Willamette Valley and et cetera. And I think that that clearly has um, a lot of marketing benefits. I mean, people really can just understand very clearly this is what this region does and a place like Oregon's Willamette Valley is really well regarded for its Pinot, but there's always a part of me that makes, it gets a little sad
2: Mm. when
9: a wine region kind of just says, this is what we do. I mean, Napa certainly does it with, has done it with Cabernet. That story was written long ago. And I think that's for this era, at least that's it. Cabernet is Napa. But I, I mean, it gets, maybe it's just that I'm a, I'm a drinker who likes to drink such diverse things. But I think it's really cool when wine regions leave room for some experimentation and, and keep an open mind. And maybe that makes it harder to kind of communicate who they are to a mass audience. But it makes them much more dynamic and interesting, at least to me.
0: I think we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests, friends of the Take care. Have a glass for me.